0: well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play
2: for free right
0: now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here we go. Talk Recorded live.
1: All right. There we go. So, uh, everybody, thank you very much for joining us tonight. It is Wednesday, January the sixth, two 2016, and we are joined again by Mr. Bob Schaefer and Bob is going to talk to us tonight about how to obtain land patents and other things so hello Bob Greetings, thank you
3: everybody for joining in So, Take it okay. away Bob The um, Okay, the land patent is the ultimate in land ownership and the, today's government I'm not anti-government by the way, I am not an anarchist. I am for good government. The founding fathers created good government to serve them and not to control them. There's no place in any constitution that goes back to control the sovereign people, not sovereign citizens. It's impossible to be a sovereign and a citizen at the same time. The sovereign has citizens or it doesn't have citizens. And The uh, Supreme Court ruled that America was a nation of sovereigns with no subjects, with nobody to control but themselves. This is where a man's house was his castle. Uh, People came from all over the world to to have that sovereignty and that sovereignty over their own private land. Those people who like to control others really uh, bothers them that... uh, this is, a, this is a fact. It's just a real reality. And they try to get people to believe that they are subjects, just like the, under the King of England. One attorney just last week made the statement, well, if this is true, then the counties and the cities can't do any code enforcement. Like, like that's crazy. Like You're nuts. You can't have that kind of a thought. Where do you get that? And my answer to that is you got it. You finally got it. They can't because they were not mentioned on the land patent. That's why it's so important to obtain your own land patent. And it's already there. You don't have to go get have somebody issue one to you. If your land is private land, it got private by virtue of a land patent. Now, there's two basic kinds of land patents. Oh, by the way, I want to... Uh, Give a little preview of what's going to happen in the weeks to come. And next week and probably for the next four weeks, we'll talk about court court procedure. Uh, and you'll see why the government leaves me alone is because I will be sh- telling you people how you can be successful in court using their rules and their regulations uh, against the bad part of government. There's a lot of good in government, but there's a lot of bad government. And Vince Lombardi, the coach of, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, made a statement that I like to repeat a lot. It was good on the football field, and it's also good on the battlefield and in the courtroom. And the statement is, the best defense is a good offense. And I find the best offense is in the United States District Court where they are bound by Supreme Court decisions that give a pro se litigant, and that's why you are. You could be called pro per or imprea persona. I like pro se because there's a case law that talks about pro se litigants shall be held to a less stringent standard. And there's all kinds of case law on that, old and new and it's never been overruled, and it goes so far as to say uh, on a motion to dismiss, the court cannot dismiss you for not saying it perfectly. The court has to give you instruction, and even though some judges will say, well, I'm not your attorney, you need to hire an attorney, the case law says that he has to tell you how you can correct your mistakes as the pro se litigant, because we the people have a right to use the court system. And, and not have it used against us. Now, if you study the law, like I have over the last 35 years, you'll find out that there are two basic kinds of law. There are constitutionally valid laws which take a lot of effort to get passed, and that's what we call the P word, passed, and then there's a lot of administrative laws that is adopted, the A word. It's adopted in bulk. They can adopt a whole book In bulk, with the vote, do I have a a motion? Do I have a second? It's that easy, the whole book. The first original administrative laws in California were actually written by New York. They were called the New York Codes, and California adopted them. They didn't pass them. They adopted them while the 1849 Constitution was still in full force and effect. The the 1879 hadn't been uh, adopted yet. It was adopted by the freed slaves for them, and it was to control them and all governmentally privileged entities. It did not get rid of the 1849, even though there's case law that says said that it did. That the, the, uh, the fact is that Article 10, Section 1 and 2, make a provision for that original constitution to be amended and or repealed. And one of the three amendments, the people of California, the sovereign people of California loved that constitution so much, in 30 years, it was only amended three times. And one of those amendments was to make the repeal even harder. So so, some of us are still protected by the 1849 Constitution and that would be the argument that the 1879 didn't comply with Article uh, uh, 10 of Sections 1 and 2. So there are two kinds of land patents. One is a state land patent issued by the state. Texas is the only state that uh, there's no United States land patent. There might be some in some treaty land, but but not in the original state. Um, so the, the, rest of, the rest of the nation has state land patents for about, I would say, after all these years, 35 years of collecting land patents, um, 1% are state land patents. The 99% are United States land patents. And even though it doesn't say of America, they are the United States was signed by the President of the United States of America. Now then, after the Act of 1871, uh, the, the President of the United States of America was really the President of the United States Incorporated. So even though that happened, it still covers both both sides of that coin. It uh, makes, makes no difference who issued the land patent; They issued it forever. Every land patent has the words forever on it. And there's all kinds of cases, hundreds of cases on this, where it, it acted as a quit claim deed where the federal government released all rights, title, and interest that it had to the grantee, except for the, the land patents that recognized a a um, Spanish, Mexican, Russian, or um, French land grant. And the federal government had no right, title, or interest in that land due to the different treaties. So they're on the outside looking in, wishing they could have some interest, but they don't have any. Now, there's an old maxim of law that says if it didn't happen in writing, it didn't happen. So the land patent is in writing, and this is where you can wave this in their face and say, show me on this land patent where you did any type of rights title interest on, on my land, because it doesn't reserve any rights to you, the state, cities, or counties. The only rights that are on the United States land patent are rights to the federal government only, and the original reservation of rights were for... Uh, ditches and canals. The surveyor general would see a large alluvial fan below a canyon and say, well, you know, we may someday need to come back in here and put in some flood control. So we'll just reserve that right on the map with a, the with a, a notation D slash C standing for ditches and canals. And then on the actual land patent, we'll reserve that as a right. Later, they started reserving rights for coal, oil, water, water, um, and, and uh, decisions of courts that had already been made, not new decisions, because the new decisions are from the state or county, which is not recognized as a reservation of rights to the state, to its legislative, executive, or judicial department. But earlier court decisions that were already in place are grandfathered in. It's a matter of adjudicata and collateral estoppel, and they're... If you if you don't want that, you don't buy that land Because when you buy that land, you get the lamp that tells you what you can and cannot do with it. So anyway, and then uh, in the next uh, few weeks, we're going to talk about court procedures, state and federal. There's two kinds of of courts involved, and uh, we use the uh, United States District Court uh, for a lot of different reasons. And there's we have other case Bob, it. Uh, it says, like, well, that court system only works in the territory. But I still use it against the states because I want them to come back with that argument. And then we have more case law against the, the United States District Court. So we can have a both ways uh, and use use their problems against them. Okay, how do you get your land patent that's already there? Um in California, there are 700 Mexican land grants, and they are recognized by a United States land patent to the um, 1848 International Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and its protocol of Ferry Carroll. Then there there are also 20 huge, massive Spanish land grants. The Spanish land grants covered 303 years from 18, 19, excuse me, uh, 16, no, 17, 19 to 18, 21. And then for 40 some years, it was Mexican land grants where they used 700. Now, in uh, in 1851, the Congress said, you know, we were bound to recognize these Spanish and Mexican land grants, but we don't know where they are. So they passed a law entitled the Act of May 3, 1851, an act to ascertain and settle the private land claims in California. Um, with that, they gave them two years to perfect their land, their land grant so that the United States government could issue the land patent for to the, the treaty, Now, the federal government didn't want to do this, and they hated it so much, but out of the 720, they only recognized three. Well, that's a good thing. i try to make everything into a good thing, because what happened then that made it a good thing is that these other people went into the United States District Court, and they have a a court decision now. So it's not just uh, a panel decision. At the administrative level, it's a court decision. So now it's Residuicata and Claddle of The that, that this land was now recognized by a United States land patent. Now then, all the other land outside of those 720 land, Spanish and Mexican land grants is called public domain land. And I've got a, a land patent here in my hand, and it refers to the public domain. So... That's where the government owned all the land. They owned all the land. Now, I've been talking to uh, the McBundys and about this this problem in, with Hammonds, and they don't seem to grasp <laughs> the fact that the land, when the when the state became a state, the the state did not take take ownership and control of all the land because the federal government already did through a treaty or a purchase. And so the federal government owns all the land except for the Spanish and Mexican land grants. After that, the federal government released its right title and interest to the public domain land through six different types of land patents. There were homestead grants. Now, it's a two-step process, by the way. At the first is a grant, and then there is the issuance of a land path. So there was homestead grants, cash entry grants, desert entry grants, military warrant grants, and railroad grants. Now, after they were, the, the grant was perfected, for instance, the homestead, you had to, they, they didn't want land speculators getting in on this. And so you had to build a house and occupy it. You had to fence it. You had to put in a well. Uh, barn, bring in your birds and animals, plant crops, and then, and then I guess they occupy it. Then, within two years, you had to bring a, a government witness out somebody that the federal government would uh, appreciate as an honest uh, witness, and he would go down the list, and that would be uh, like a, a federal marshal or a, a county sheriff or the mayor, or somebody that they could trust. It might even have been a uh, notary public, because a notary is a state witness. And they'd go down the list and check it off and say, yeah, he's qualified. Now then that farmer on the homestead would go to the uh, general land office, the GLO, and it was the GLO until 1947 when it became the Bureau of Land Management, or the BLM. So he would take it to the GLO, and then they would issue this United States land pattern, and it would go be, it would be signed by the President of the United States of America, and it was the, the final transfer, quid claim transfer of all right title and interest held by the United States government on its public domain public domain to the private sector, and i 'm going to read this one. Uh, this is a one-pager. It says, the United States of America. So this, even though it was issued after the Act of 1871, it says, the United States of America, not the United States Incorporated. To all whom these presidents shall come greetings, whereas, you know, this is, getting, this is so small, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it 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 gets to uh it from the land office in Los angeles california uh this is where it was issued and uh it was to the settlers on the public domain It mentions to secure homesteads to actual settlers on the public domain, so this means it's not in a in a rancho and it was issued to george a Amrick. And it starts out with uh, lots number so and so of, uh, and it gives the section and the township number, and I'll explain that in a minute, and the range. So it gets down to to the exact dimensions. Now, in in uh, orienteering, there there's three different ways to define your land. One is uh, latitude and longitude, and that's what the the mariners used to find out where they were on, on the ocean of the world. They used a sextant to make it, they find out where the horizon was. Now, my great grandfather, seven generations ago, was Captain William Clark, the co leader of the Lewis and Clark expedition, and he had, to, he had to use a sextant to find the stars and guide where he was. And he had to use what they called an artificial horizon, which was just basically done with a level. And with that artificial horizon, he could pinpoint where he was. And he was so accurate, I'm really proud of this, because I used to be a surveyor, I worked with a surveyor, that in 4,000 miles, he was off with new, new GPS stuff, 40 miles, that's 1%. And he had to work with, not with a tape measure, he had to do what they called dead reckoning, where they, would, they measured from the center of the river from, this, from the bend of this to the bend of that, at the next one down there, he'd say, well, now that's about 1,280 feet. And then uh, he'd mark that down. And then he, at the, in the night, he would use the stars and, and compare his notes and stuff. And he was so accurate that it's just amazing. So then there's the Congressional Township Survey that will tell you where your land is. And that's where you find the township range and section lines, corners, and numbers. Now, they are already there. This was done at a cost to the federal government of millions of dollars, and they had thousands of surveyors all over this country surveying it. And it was just an inventory. The government is a business, and it needed the inventory of what it had. And so they sent these surveyors out to do that. Now, when, when, uh, for instance, uh, where I'm located in, in San Bernardino uh we're off of what they call the San Bernardino basin Radium Line, where they showed the tallest mountain in the area, built a bonfire because they had to do this survey at night because this was all desert with heat waves and there was, everything was in motion during the day. So at night it settled down because the heat dissipated and they built this huge bonfire. And about 30 years ago, the San Bernardino County uh, Surveyor Recreated this thing, and they built another bonfire up on on the mountain. Uh, they first tried. Uh, Colonel Henry Washington went up to Mount San Bernardino Peak, and then there was this 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 mountain that was in the way. And uh, so he said, "Well, we've got to be able to look down in the valley." So they will do this initial point. That's the the basic benchmark of the whole survey, or survey of all of Southern California is in a, a place where you could drive a sword in the ground and say, this is the initial point. And uh, in survey terms, it's called a benchmark. It's where you can always go back and start, your, you know, and check check your numbers. Normally, the, the meridian north and south went right through that initial point. But in California, it was back 200 feet to go north and, and another 400 feet to go south. Because of all the cliffs in the area, they had to make it easy on themselves on that first time. Now then, they they went off that initial point east and west to the Colorado River and to the ocean with what they call the baseline. Now, the baseline, that's why there's a lot of towns that you cross over America, they have a baseline road. The baseline road is always related to this Congressional Township Survey. It's always related to that. So now, let's say they want to start doing a survey down in San Diego. They can't just survey everything between San Bernardino and San Diego. It would take years. They want to do that survey of San Diego right away. So they came up with a way to do that. Uh, every 24 miles, they would come up with what they call a standard line. And you'll see those ones, the There's the first standard road and the second standard road. And so the standard, they could just... Do their the survey and do these standards all the way across the country, so so they could come back and fill it in properly, and it would all fall into place, and then they could start the survey down in San Diego where the people were, you know, living. But anyway, the uh, land patent uh, you have to have the the um, township range and section numbers. Now the township. Is a uh, 36 mile square um, surveyed area with 36 miles uh, of of, uh, one section or one square mile sections. And uh, so your land is in one of those sections in the township. Now, going back to that baseline, going across east to west, um, the first Row of townships down or below or south of the baseline would be called Township 1 South. Uh, so the whole row of townships is called a township. So the first row above it would be Township 1 North. The whole row from from the uh, Colorado River to the ocean. And then you have Township 2 North and Township 3 North. Each one of those is 36 uh, it's six miles above the other one. So you can go all the way up to um, path Bakersfield before you reach the um, meridian lines coming down from Mount Diablo. Now then, going the other way, from the initial point going toward the ocean, you have range, that whole range of townships going north to south from the Nothing can border all the way up to where it meets the other uh, survey coming down. That whole row is called a range. And each, so so if you're, you could be in township one south and range uh, eight west, that's toward the ocean. So this pinpoints which township your house your is in. And they need that at the, at the Bureau of Land Management to find your land path. So that's where your township comes in and and your range. Now, in that 12, excuse me, that 36 square miles, it's, it's, they're numbered 1 to 36. And the, the top right hand corner or the northeast section is section number 1. That's a mile square, 36, excuse me, 640 acres. And you can divide that in quarters, and you should. Uh, you have the north east quarter and the northwest quarter, or the southeast quarter or the southwest quarter. That will hone you in on on a smaller um, of 120 acres of that original land pattern. Now, the original land pattern, there could be three or four in a section, or a land pattern could cover many townships, like railroad grants would have Maybe 30 pages of sections, and you need this. You need the the township range and section of where your house is, and it'll be shown on that larger uh, 36 page uh, land patent that covers the whole railroad grant. Now, the railroad grants, uh, the federal government said, We're going to help support the railroad building there railroads across the country because we need it for our our mail and for our military. And after they had the railroad up and running with just train stations and tracks laid and all that, then they would qualify for the issuance of the United States land patent. Now, with with the a land there are people that teach seminars, I've heard them on the internet, to talk about, you know, if your land is in the name of a corporation, you got to put it in the name of the man because uh, <clears throat> the government didn't issue land patents to corporations. Yes, it did. Those people are totally wrong. Uh, I have a, I have some land in a railroad grant, and I have land in a rancho. Now, the land in the rancho didn't relief, it, relief anything. It just recognized what was already released by the Mexican and the Spanish government. Other land in the public domain, though, um, not to a railroad, but to to a human, like this one that I just read to you, it says to uh, his name, and then there's a blank, a blank where they could put his or her, the, his errors, or signs forever. Now, with a railroad grant, railroads don't have errors. They have successors. So on those land patterns, it's to the railroad, it's successors and assigned. And assigned can be a corporation or can be a human. And so you are an assigned. Everybody that's listening here, if you own land, you fall into the category of an assigned. And forever is a long time. So when government says, well, that's an old law, you know, we're, we're more current now. Show me the law that gets rid of the land. There is none. This is why it's def- Beer of Land Management spends millions of dollars every year to keep the original land patents with the humidity perfect and the temperature perfect because they have to protect those land patents forever. Now they've reduced those all to microfish and to computer entry, so they don't really have to touch them anymore, but they're still there and they're forever. And you are an assigned whether it was a Mexican land grant or a Spanish land grant or a railroad grant or to a human. You are the assigned forever. And that's why you need to get your own land patent so that you can uh, have evidence that you are who you say you are. Now, I'm going to give the phone number for the uh, State Land Commission, for you. it's the BLM, where you can get uh, the land patent it's uh area nine one six five seven four nineteen hundred and uh let's see now that's that's the state lands commission now there's another one for the Bureau of land management I have here let's see where I can find uh um, it's it's even more important i'd saying. let's see I'll get that a, a little bit later i want to keep moving here. So now you need to find your township range and section number. And in that section of 640 acres, one square mile, it's good if you can narrow it down to, the, to one quarter of that section. You call this number and you say, I just want to order a certified copy of the land patent for township, whatever, range, whatever. You have to tell them what space and meridian line it's off of because there's three of them in California. California is such a long state and uh, which quarter of that is and then you order. All the land towns are in that quarter um, of the uh, of the section because there might be more than one, and then you can fine-tune that later and see which one actually fits your land. Uh, when it's a railroad grant and it covers many uh, townships, then you'll, you can still go through those 36 pages if that's what it is, and find your township range and section. And, uh, but the the main body of the uh, land patent will talk about any reservation of rights. And that right there you can point out that you know, I don't see any reservation of rights to the state of California or the state of whatever and it's legislative, executive, or judicial departments. So your administrative laws well don't apply to my land. Leave me alone. Go away. I just want to be left alone. You have no authority here. None, and if you want to spend 200 to $600,000 to see if I'm right or wrong, we can go that route, because I'm going to take you to the Supreme Court, where they understand land patents, even if you don't, and uh, that's, that's my story, and I stick to it pretty much, and uh, I, I can show you about 20 places where the federal government will not set foot. In fact, they even apologized to one guy, and they removed a lien they had on his land, because when we give them that, the claim of the land patent, we do that to the, uh, the code enforcement guy that's messing with us, or the government, and to his superiors, and to, for instance, it might be the Board of Supervisors for the whole county, or if it's in a city, to the city uh, attorney, and to the city council. So we're telling them, we're giving them notice, we're going to sue you. And personally, because you you're stepping outside of your authority. Uh, you, you don't have any authority on this land. Even though you think you do, we're going to have to have a jury of our peers tell you why you're not. Now back to the uh, to the Bundys and, and, the, and their problem. And I tried to talk to them, but uh, they didn't want to hear it when they went up to help the Hammonds. Um, when the state in California, the state became a, a state in 1849. And, and on September 9, 1850, it became a union state. And there's an act for admission into the, into the union. And it's good to get that. You, know, you, you, you need to get the act for admission because there it talks about the state will not interfere with the government's disposal of its land. See, all the land in the state belongs to the federal government due to the treaty and or the purchase and not the state. The state owned no land. And the way that the state got land is that when it became a union state, the federal government said, you know, we're going to help you with your university of uh, California or whatever state. We're going to give you 500,000 of our acres of our land. And uh, it's not going to be a big chunk over here. It's going to be wherever the people want to take, uh, you know, 640 acres. And then it will just be deducted from the 500,000 acres. Now then, they said, we're going to also give you 150,000 acres to support your agricultural and mining schools, and that was done the same way. Then they said, we're going to give you Section 36 and Section 16 of the Congressional Township Survey all over your state, and when you sell that land, that will go, the money will go to support your elementary schools. And so that's right there is proof that the federal government owned the land because it was granting that land to the state that they could sell it and, and raise money for the school system. Then later on, the federal government said, we're going to give you all the swamp, bogs, lagoons, estuaries, uh, and all those wetlands, and you can reclaim those with dikes, and whatever, and you can sell those. And so that became a state land patent. Uh, I have one state land patent issued by Governor Gray Davis. Just, that was just, you know... 15 years ago or so Uh, and it had all kinds of reservation of rights on it to the state but so that's why it's important for you to get your own land patent because what what's on your land patent is what you're bound by and they're bound by it too and so you can just show it to them in writing uh we have a we have a land patent claim document that that it goes into a lot of detail on how you're claiming the forever benefits of your of your land. So, uh, I think I'm open for questions and answers. Uh, once you get that that information, the township range and section, and by the way, that might be on your title. It might be on your grant deed. Uh, if you can't find it there, you can get it from a local surveyor. Or maybe even a local title company can guide you in up to that get that information. But until you have the township range and sections and quarter section, don't bother the BLM because they can't help you. That's that's their guide to find it, and they can bring it up on this computer and talk to you about it right there while you're on the phone. And you can order it over the phone with a debit or credit card, and they pay for the postage. And it costs only twenty-five cents for a certification of it. I've gotten two land patents for under five dollars delivered to my mailbox, certified copies. Now some of them will cost maybe up to fifteen dollars if it's a railroad grant, a lot of a lot of pages involved. But uh, now then, the uh, we have a local national archive uh, about sixty miles from my office in Paris, California. They don't have the land pounds. I was really surprised to, to see that. I'm sure they have it, but they're not available there. They, they'll guide you to the Bureau of Land Management. That's, that's what they do. But if you want the court case, remember I said there was uh, only three um, land grants that were granted at, at the administrative level? They have the court case. And uh, some time, in some cases, it shows the corruption of way back there. For instance, in San Bernardino, the original land patent to Rancho San Bernardino, which was issued to the Sepulveda and Lugo families in 1844, is similar to a, a frying pan. In other words, the, the middle of the frying pan is the San Bernardino Valley, and it goes up on the sides to what was known as the ridge boundary. If rainwater hit at the ridge and it ran into the rancho, it was in the rancho. That was the boundary. If it ran away from it, that was outside the rancho. So um, in Rancho San Maradillo, the Sepulveda and Lugo families got 70,000 acres. Now then, when it was confirmed in 1858, the Sepulveda of Lugo families have sold to the Mormons. The Mormons were called back to Utah. There was nobody here to fight for it. They whittled it down to 35,000 acres. They they got rid of 35,000 acres because they hated it so much so there was nobody here to fight for it. But there's a case law. There's a case which, which issues the land patent recognition to Rancho San Bernardino. And it's 35,000 acres. And uh, my land in on Orange Show Road. By the way, I was halfway between the shootout, the mass shooting, and the shootout. And uh, my my land is on Orange Show Road, five acres. And uh, but I'm in both ranchos. I'm in the original 70,000 acres and the confirmed confirmed 35,000 acres. And I'm also in, a, in an area called Guatama, which is important historically because there was a group of Indians from I mean, from Guatemala, I and mean, they named this area Guatama, and it was from East Highland to Mount Slover, which is also called Samant Mountain. In other words, it was about 30 miles long and four miles wide, two miles on each side of the Great River, which is now known as the Santa Ana River. I'm dead senator of Gautama with my five acres there, so I've got a lot of history there. And the local government knows to stay off my land, and they do. Uh, There's there's some side stories that I won't go into right now that shows how they recognize that it is sovereign land. And it's not a new nation, but it is a nation to itself. It's an old nation. So we we, we call it the rancho the last Bob's Rancho over there because it's the last vestige of Rancho San Bernardino from eighteen forty four. So uh are there any questions? I'm ready to do that now. If you guys have
1: any questions hit star eight on your phone, it'll bring it up in our in our board to call on you. Hit star eight on your phone, raise your hand. Okay. Your phone unmutes. It's your turn. Go ahead, hello, yes, go ahead
2: hi, hi bob i um, I want to ask you uh I just obtained a land patent. I went under the glow uh site on the the uh the square that my home was in and thought uh, it's a railroad uh land patent signed by Theodore Roosevelt. And it has the forever rights on it. And um, I, I want to know, um, I heard that you have to have a certified land or plat map first before... Wait, wait, wait,
3: wait. <laughs> I'm not hearing bad. You have a
2: certified what? La- uh, uh, map plat. You plat send the DLM map. plat map, Survey uh, uh, plat map. Yeah, it's supposed to have to, that first. No, ask the DLM to give you that spot.
3: No, the plat map it helps a surveyor to find you if he needs to, but it's the land patent that actually quick claim transferred the ownership. The plat map it, it, it does nothing for ownership. It just shows where it is uh, in the course of. Uh,
2: Right, right. But what I'm looking for is to have all of the papers together that I need to back up.
3: It it doesn't hurt to have the flat map. That's not bad. Okay, but you
2: don't
3: need need that. Like you say, it's more evidence. Is what it is.
2: Okay. And then, what other documents are needed to uh, put together your claim, and where is your claim? Filed, and do you file it in the natural person's capacity versus? Um, yeah, yes,
3: yeah, so but you don't file anything. Um, they won't. They hate this so much. Usually, the <laughs> counties, the counties, you can probably even get a, a copy of your land patent from your county, and then you can refer to what's already filed. But they will not let you file anything new. This is so bad for them that they will do everything they can to discourage you from it because it just does, it, it, it gets rid of all government control and they really love to control people. And by the way, I haven't had time to work on getting it off the tax roll, but it should be off the tax roll too. Somebody way back when a subdivider uh, did what he was told to do to get his subdivision done and, and he, or he got you on the tax roll. And uh, they didn't give him full disclosure of all obligations, duties, and responsibilities associated with that act. And probably not get a valuable consideration of at least $1 of silver coin. As as a consideration for that. So I'm sure there's a way to do it. But, you know, my my home in the mountains, my my tax rate is uh, under $500 a year because I bought it in 1974 and I feel that the county does not much worth of work in snow plowing my roads and I'm benefiting that, I will eventually make the time to take it off the tax roll and send them a donation of the same amount because I want to be responsible and pay, pay my share of what they're spending for me. But there's other people that have huge tax problems that we have an offer to pay that, that covers that. See, the government, any government, state, federal, city, county, they're bound by the Quincy's Act of April 2, 1792. We have that. We can help you with that. It's, we've taken years to develop the perfect offer to pay, and we need them to tell us what they are requiring us to pay that in. We just want to get it served up. We're good guys. We're you know, just helping I can bring my legal tender cash so I can get this cleared up, but I need to know what you are requiring and by what authority can you require that thing? And there's a third one. Do you require everybody to pay that? Just in case they say, go ahead and pay. We re- we require you to pay in silver or gold coin. See, the the 20th uh, Act of April two seventeen ninety two, is the only American law that ever defined the dollar. And it defines it as a weight or measure of a point nine nine fine silver coin now in california california government code 6850 almost says the same words uh except it leaves the dime out but the the federal government says the money of account of the united states and this works against the irs by the way too the federal the coinage act of the united states shall be had and held in the form of a dollar dime cent and mill and dime is spelled d-i-s-m-e uh and mill is m-i-l-l-e it's a mill is one-tenth of a cent, and it shows up at the gas pump when they say you're going to pay a federal tax of uh, 34.9 cents. That .9 is a mill, and But yet it's in the money of accounts, and and it, and it says in all court proceedings, both the state and federal. So the money of account of this entity and all court proceedings. So there are people who come to me with a, a problem. They got a bill from uh, the fire marshal, let's say. And I tell them, let them sue you. Don't even walk into court. Don't waste your time. They'll get a default judgment. Bring me the default judgment. We'll make an offer to pay. We just did that, and they will default every time. And the default, according to the Uniform Commercial Code, is a discharge. So you no longer owe it. Uh, I helped a man get rid of a hundred of a one hundred. Excuse me. Yeah, $180,000 superior court judgment and a $1.8 million bankruptcy court judgment because the judges both defaulted. So, see, I don't want to deal with the, with uh, some lower guy that's getting the judgment. I want to deal with the court because it says, and all court proceedings. So that judge is, falls under the "and of court proceedings. Um, I've gotten rid of so many judgments and taxes i've got rid of a one hundred fifty-eight thousand dollar irs bill for a friend because they're mm. bound by the money of account argument there's no way around it
2: well i now, can't wait are, to hear you, your court stuff i'm sorry i can't wait to hear your court stuff uh next week i guess
3: yeah well we'll be doing that in the next few weeks uh there's you know there's, uh, when i was in real estate i've done almost everything i mean i've been in a barber, i've been an ambulance driver i've <laughs> mainly mainly a contractor for you know my first retail store was when I was seventeen. By the time I was eighteen, I was top point appliance's youngest major appliance dealer, and i 've just done a lot of things for my seventy four years uh, and, and so uh, I speak from experience and uh, i I speak from bad experience sometimes i learn and then i 've learned how to resist corruption. And uh, I, I resist it really well now, thank you very much. And they, they they want to leave me alone, and that's what I want to be, is just be left alone. So yes. I'm not hurting anybody. For instance, I have four state contractor's licenses, Now I've been an unlicensed contractor for 36 years, and I still do big jobs. Wow. And and the answer to that is, I don't need you to control me. If I, if I do a bad job for somebody, they have access to the courts. They can sue me. They don't need you. You know, I have a right to contract, guaranteed and secured to me by the Constitution. And besides that, you know, one of the things I'm going to be doing in the near future is holding a seminar on how to go into business. There's a lot of people need a job, and I can show them how to go into business in mobile home service, because that's where I have 56 years of experience. And I can show them how to start out in high gear and not have to develop stuff like I did over the years. I have a product, I have a number of products that you can't get anywhere in the world. I have, in other words, I can combining a product from one guy that doesn't know who the other guy is. In other words, they can't go around me and create this product. So I create the product and uh, it just lasts forever. So the people who go to my seminar can have a paint, they can paint houses, uh, and and get, get an R8 insulation value per coat, so you can get R32 insulation with four coats, two coats on the inside, two coats on the outside. I can make make it, and it's fireproof. Um, see, a, a house fire will will burn from uh, 12 to 1400 degrees. A forest fire will go from 1300 to 1800 degrees. If you go to one of the hardware stores you can buy a propane torch which is about twenty two hundred degrees, a lot hotter and you can't make my my paint burn. You can then go get Map Pro, which is about thirty six hundred degrees and it still won't. Then you get MapCap, which is so hot there in it in California, I had to get it in Arizona, which is fifty three hundred and one degrees and it still won't burn. And if you take the Map Pro Torch it puts a turbo uh, spin on the on the uh, on the flame. On the it'll go up to six thousand degrees, and it still won't burn. And you can hold it there for ten minutes, and it will wow. not burn.
2: The world they needs put, to know about that.
3: But but the wood underneath it will
1: burn. You'll so you'll have a little hollow thing made of paint. <laughs>
2: That's amazing. It'll now melt right, the steel right, around it. Right you right, right now. You're a man have many hats. I'm sorry? Okay. You're a man of many hats.
3: <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of talent. I've been blessed. Well,
2: yes. Um, bottom line for me is uh, I've got a foundation, one of yours. Um, I want to get it transferred over as quickly as possible out of my name, but uh, it was recommended I get this land patent uh, uh, certified copies first, and make a claim. So all I need to know is how do I do the claim? What documents do I all need so well, I can get we, the transfer for them?
3: We can help you with that. And by the way, when you uh, if you bought the foundation, uh, we've upgraded the grant deed to where it's not just a it's not a sale or a transfer that is uh, creates an, uh, a taxable event uh we pointed out that this is not a sale there's no buyer there's no seller there's no selling price it's a, it's a bona fide gift and um
2: but there's tell- still, a, still there's still a dollar consideration then that was my concern because the grant deed i got yeah you want you, a valuable dollars.
3: consideration of one dollar of silver <laughs>
2: It's yes. not a sale. It's That's not a the sale. It's, it's, it's
3: just, you? it's valuable consideration for a contract that you're entering into. See, a lot of people comes... don't don't realize that. But you know, I had to when I, when I was a teenager, I had to sign that prospective service. And I had to pay one dollar. That was valuable consideration for that contract that they got with me. I know how to, now how to not do that, but. Uh, valuable consideration of a minimum of $1 is critical to a contract. If a contract doesn't have a valuable consideration of $1 of silver, it's not a valuable contract, and you can you can uh, be relieved of that contract, especially what they call an adhesion contract. They say, well, you know, your parents uh, <clears throat> you got a marriage license, so they had, they had a government privilege to be married and have sex and have kids, so now... You're like the calf owned by the cow and the bull. And so now you get sucked into being uh, under the thumb of the government with what they call an adhesion contract.
2: Right.
3: Uh, well, you're not You're not because you didn't do a valuable consideration to do that. The adhesion contracts don't fly because there was no valuable consideration. Plus, what there, was about no the valuable, there was no valuable consideration from your parents. They didn't give them full disclosure that they were taking them out of being sovereigns and making them subjects. So there's all kinds of reasons to attack those old contracts.
2: What about the wedding ring? Isn't that valuable consideration?
3: Say that again, please, Bowie.
2: The wedding ring, when you exchange wedding rings, is that not valuable but consideration? They, you see,
3: a, a license and a franchise and a pass and a permit issued by the government has been defined as permission to do something that would be otherwise illegal. Well... Our parents, our, excuse me, our great grandparents, on back, they had marriages without licenses. They were marriage contracts. Yes. So you, you don't need a license to be married. They have tricked us into thinking we have to. That's yes. a three-party, it's a three-party contract, but they did not get valuable consideration of one dollar in silver when that happened. <laughs> so that's that's one of the ways to get out of that one. And you can Thank divorce. Thank you.
2: I'm glad. I'm glad to know that because everybody's saying you got to uh, revoke it and rescind it and do all this stuff if you want to get out of that well you you can
3: you can do that but you see a marriage uh, license produces a three-party contract and any two can can uh, get rid of the third one that's why you go to the state to get a divorce well you don't need to do that Uh, a husband and wife can actually divorce the state (laughs) how do you like that we have yeah. more questions
1: on the board, Bob.
3: Okay. <clears throat> Thank right.
1: you. You bet. Uh, California, you're next.
4: Yeah, this is John, and uh, I want to ask you, Bob, if you uh, would be so kind as to repeat that number for the BLM in California that you gave us. It starts with nine one six.
3: Yes. Uh, it is. Uh, You can here. Here it is. You can get it off the internet or information, but the number I have is uh, 916-574-1900. Thank you. I know a lot now of people that, that in may, California. That, <laughs> that, that may not be the BLM. That, that is for sure the State Lands Commission. I
2: um, have a number. I have a number. Okay. Can you hear me?
3: Go ahead. Give it.
2: Okay. Because I just got this certified uh, copy from the DLM, and his number is nine
3: one six nine seven eight four four zero zero. That's exactly right. And, for and I've got an uh,
2: email address if you'd like to. He was very kind, very yes. helpful, and very easy to get this. Yes. Go um, ahead. you is go. Gary Catledge, C A T like cat, ledge L E D G at BLM.gov. Excuse me, that's G. His name's Gary Catledge. It's G Catledge at BLM.gov is the email.
3: And they're very, very helpful. They don't try to say, well, what are you
2: going to use this for? Well, you can't do it for that. No. They, just, he, they help you. He was, he was awesome. He got back to my emails and everything very quickly. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. When he sent me the certified land patent with it, he put a copy of my email requesting it, and, it, and there is a disclaimer on the bottom of the email that says, no warranty is made by the Bureau of Land Management for use of the data for purposes not intended by DOM. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Now I should mention this that uh, other states, like the original thirteen states, the thirteen the, the states that are along the coastline they they don't have United States land patents. The the backcountry states of the thirteen states over by Ohio They may have some because the federal federal government begged them to give them all their land that they hadn't already um, dispersed. And so finally those states gave in and gave them the... And so there's a Bureau of Land Management there that has land patents on that public domain land. All the other states have a Bureau of Land Management and information will have their local the local office, and if you're in some other state, you can just call that BLM and get your land patent directly from them. Another place is the National Archives in Washington, D.C., and I've gotten land patents from them, even though the local National Archives won't won't do it, but I have gotten them someplace in Maryland.
2: Well, the land patent certified is beautiful. It's got a rivet in the upper corner, putting all 11 pages together, and it's got uh, the certified thing on it that's stamp pressed uh, with a signature and a date stamp. Yeah,
3: it'll, if it's more than one page, it'll have a ring, a brass ring in the top left-hand corner that indicates that this is real, it's, and they're all together, yes. and you can't separate them. You, you make a copy yes. and you just fold, fold it over. Okay.
1: Right, we now, got we got, got another question on the board, Bob. Okay. Okay, I think Washington. When your phone on oh. your turn.
0: Hey, hi, Tad. Hi, Bob. Hi. Thanks, yeah. Um, I'm having uh, some um, poor results with the offer to pay regarding an IRS uh, debt. So um, there seems to be something lacking there because they're continuing to be a uh, uh, pest.
3: Well, see, let me, uh, someday we'll have an IRS uh, uh, conference call, but I can share with you a few things. There are people in the past who have said, I'm not going to pay that. You're taking that money and you're killing babies and women over in Afghanistan. And I'm just not going to be part of that. I have a moral problem with that. And they'll come back and say to us, k it says you can't have a moral problem with that or you can't have a religious objection. And they've already set themselves up. So my offer to pay makes us sound like a good guy. Hey, I want to get this cleared up. I don't have any moral or um, religious uh, problems. I just need to know what it is you're requiring of me to pay. And I need to know if uh, you well require everybody good. to pay that.
0: Bob, that's all well and good, but they're continuing to levy
3: me, even though I have uh, provided them with an offer to pay. Well, you might have a good lawsuit then. Now, here's what I understand with the IRS. When you sue them, they will then cave in, and then they're going to court as their answer to say, hey, we we gave them what they wanted. There is no case in controversy here. They want to get it over with. They don't want to spend thousands of dollars fighting this argument because this argument is righteous.
0: Okay, but in the meantime, I'm getting... Um this levy
3: attached
0: to uh, lots of my... uh... Let me me correct
3: you. It's not a levy. (laughs) It's a notice of levy. And a notice (laughs) of levy is not a levy. A levy has to be judicially rendered. So you can go into your bank and say, you know, I don't want to have to sue you. I've been dealing with you for all these years, but all you have is a notice of levy. You don't have a judicial determination. And if I have to, I'm going to sue the IRS and you because you're taking my money. And I need you to, uh, I'll be happy to talk to your, uh, your attorneys, but a notice of levy is not a levy. A, a real levy is issued by a court. This is all administrative law. And, and they threaten and badger people so much, they just finally cave in. But you've oh, got to be prepared to sit tall on the saddle and say, it's going to stop right here. Well, that's what I want to do. I want it to stop
0: right now because, uh, as it is, um, they're gonna just continue to run over me. So I've got to go. I've got to go and put it, put them into a lawsuit. Have you sent them an offer to pay you? Yes.
3: Well, then you, you now you have to send the offer to pay to the commissioner, the head guy. I don't deal with the guy downtown. He doesn't know up from down. I'll deal with the, the main guy. <laughs> in Washington DC.
0: <coughs> well I, I I did it to the to the agent.
3: Yeah, well that's not good enough.
0: So that's what you okay. so so you're go, saying... over their
3: head, go over their head and give a copy to the agent so the agent knows that you're that he's being watched from above. You can't go but, too high. All right, well but, that
0: wasn't the way that wasn't the way it was, was proffered to me, so now I have to go and do this offer of pay to the commissioner and a copy to the agent.
3: Yes, and you can, and you point out to the commissioner that you've been making these offers to pay to the agent and he's not following their law. That they're all no, bound by true. the they're all bound by the Queens Act of April two, seventeen ninety two, through their oath of office. <clears throat> Article six, paragraph two is the call the supremacy clause that says this Constitution and all laws made pursuant thereto, which is the Cornish Act of April 2, 1792, and all treaties made or which shall be made, shall be, shall as mandatory, the supreme law of the land. So you got to take an oath to uphold this according to Act of April 2, 1792, and now you're, you're violating your oath of office.
0: Okay, well I, I'm going to proceed along those lines, but. I think what really has to be done is the lawsuit has to be also be put into place because they're just going to continue to pound me.
3: Yeah, a lawsuit is, is the best defense to the good offense, like we said earlier. Right. Okay. So well, you know, that, sometimes uh, they just say, oh, you're just breastfeeding. You're not gonna, You're not going to do anything. You're just all talk.
4: Well, this is John. Uh, I'll
3: be glad it's to ask this
4: gentleman. Uh, got his information already. We'll we'll get on that and uh, get a uh,
3: complaint put together
4: for it uh, based on the the uh, the
3: letter to the commissioner. It costs four hundred dollars in filing fees to get the marble walls of the United States District Court. They've gotta spend probably three hundred and fifty dollars an hour for some attorney to come in and and, and uh, answer it. So, because governments are so broke, they want to settle. Well,
0: I'll be glad to, to take care of it, but it just is really going to be dicey while they have all this levy stuff in place against people who owe me money.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of things going on. A lot of stories, and divorces happen. People commit suicide. I mean, it's really bad. And if people have the little knowledge between their ears, they could defend themselves and even go on the attack.
0: Well, I'm just going to have to be very specific with some of these people and tell them that this is not a levy, it's a notice of levy,
4: and that it's not uh, having uh, a force and effect of law.
3: Right. Okay. Well, well,
4: uh, Bob, this is John again. Uh, I, I can uh, visit with you tomorrow about that, Henry. And uh, we can put the, put this together so that they can be uh, notified of this through a letter with the proper disclosure, and then they can be uh, told that they are listed as one of the DoEs, uh, the unnamed defendants in this case. If uh, if we don't get things resolved. Excellent.
0: Okay. All right, Don.
4: Uh, I got. I did get your email today, by the way. <clears throat> it's been swamped, so I, I'll, I'll uh, visit with you tomorrow.
0: Okay. By the way.
3: Uh, yeah, there's one other one other thing that just came to mind I need to throw out here about the LAMPAD. There is a lot of misinformation going out there. People making a lot of money, trying my thing and I will help you and they're, and they're making a lot of mistakes and I give you people in trouble. Nobody has ever gone to jail using my material. I keep people out of jail. I even help people that are going to jail um because they listened to somebody else. One guy was supposed to go to jail for five years, and I got him doing 6 months weekends. But here's here's what I'm going to say about the, land, the bad land patent information. They have what they call a land patent sandwich, where you go all the way back to the original land patent, you do a chain of title, you, you go got, and you're looking for problems. And the idea is you're supposed to look like a good guy because you showed that there was no problem. But so what would you do if you found a problem in the chain of title? So I tell people, let them find that problem. If there is one, there probably is not. But why go to that effort? That's a lot of time, effort, and energy to, to go back and look at all that stuff. It's not necessary. Your your title insurance shows you're the owner. Nobody else is claiming the owner, so everybody else is out of the picture. Now you're just claiming the... Forever benefits of the original land patent as it, replace, as it uh, relates to you as the owner of record. So don't waste your time doing a land patent pa- uh, sandwich. That's just uh, ridiculous. That they don't. They don't care that you were a nice guy and you proved to them that, that you, there was no no error. And there are sometimes there are errors, but nobody will ever find it unless you do. Why would you want to show them your, what you found? It's not necessary. Just go, straight, just go straight to the title that you have. You have a title of insurance probably, and uh, you're claiming as, as the owner of record right now today, I'm claiming the forever benefits of the original. There, this is not a new land patent. This, in the past, people were doing a declaration of land patent. That's another bad thing. People went to jail 30 years ago. With the declaration of land patent, because they were crowding their neighbor's title, they claimed the whole land patent. When they can, they should really only claim the the, the land patent as it relates to their legal description, not the whole land patent. So the well, land patent has been misused and abused in the past, and that's one reason they're they leery of them. But if you do it right, they they're stuck with it. Thank
0: you. Uh huh.
1: Okay, we've got another question, Bob. Uh, Richard Green. Hello? Hi there. Hello? Go ahead.
0: Yes, uh, uh, Bob, I wanted to ask just a quick question. Um, I, I've noticed that on a foreclosure that I'm dealing with, um, they, um, uh, they basically say that they have the original note that, that's uh, unendorsed However, what they filed in, uh, uh, in their complaint, shows a, um, a specially endorsed note.
3: How well, you- here, here, here's the problem. There are some that do have the original loan, but that's a crime under FAS-140. If they securitized it, bifurcated it, separated it from the, the deed of trust or the mortgage. See, east of the Mississippi, you have a mortgage that that secures the 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 promissory note. Less than Mississippi, you have a deed of trust that secures the the, the, uh, promissory note. So if you don't make your payment, they can sell your house, their foreclosure and eviction by implementing that deed of trust. Their problem is, there's a 126-year-old Supreme Court decision that says when they separated the promissory note from the deed of trust, they killed the securitization problem uh, uh, po- possibility of that deed of trust. It's worthless for foreclosing yet they use those worthless things every day because of people's ignorance and they foreclose and evict when they can't. Now that's one good reason to have that all unwell uh, do a quiet title action going back years because of the fraud involved. There's no statute of limitations. By the way, we use the common law or actions at law and they're all over and that's under the law of the land and they're over under the law of the sea with civil law and and complaints and stuff like that. So when they bring up the statute of limitations, you can say, well, uh, no statute applies at the law, at the common law. The statutes are over under under the law of the sea. And I've converted this to a law of the land action at law. So your, your statute of limitation doesn't apply here. If There's fraud involved. There's no statute of limitations with fraud. And there's all kinds of fraud involved. So... With the, the carpenter decision, the one that's 126-year-old, says that when they separate the, the promissory note and they, they sell it and, uh, and they put it on the stock, stock market, it becomes, a, it becomes a stock forever. They can't retrieve it. They separated it from the security device. Now, here's what a lot of people don't realize. When you bought your house, somebody gave you a grant deed or a quitclaim deed. Now, at that time, you became the assigned of that land patent. Now, you didn't, they didn't tell you this, but when you assigned your your promissory note and the deed of trust west of the Mississippi or the mortgage east of the Mississippi, you then assigned the forever management of the land patent to the, to the lender. How do you like that? You didn't even know that. And they didn't know it. They don't know that to this day. But when they separated it, as a matter of law, that that land patent assignment reverts back to you. So now, after after it's been invested in a trust, a Remick trust, and they're separated, you now hold the the sovereignty of the land ownership rights, title, and interest of that land patent. You're back in the saddle again with it as being an assign because of what they did that you didn't even know about and they didn't know about them. But that's what happened.
0: But is there any way that I can argue this in the court with, where, where I can say, wait a minute, they, they're they saying they have the uh, the uh, endorsed note, but but what they passed in as their original actually is a special endorsed note and say, hey, this is not...
3: Yes, you can argue it in the court. A lot of the court's or invested in mortgage-backed securities for their for their retirement. So you might want to say if this court's retirement is invested in mortgage-backed security, I respectfully demand this court recuse itself because of a conflict of interest here right. and get that on the record. And then you also want to say, you know, for the record, I respectfully demand that any judicial determination here is rendered in the form of a statement of facts and conclusion of law. Excuse me, let me add a word. An appealable statement of facts and conclusion of law. Now that forces them to put all their reasoning down. Now you can attack their reasoning. They can't just say, because I said so. When you ask for a, an appealable statement of facts and conclusion of law. Now if they don't do that, that itself is appealable. You can go to the appellate court and say... You know, I demanded a statement of an appealable statement of facts and conclusion of law. All I did was just render a decision, and now I have I can't pick his brain and find out how I made that decision. And now I'm asking this higher court to reverse that that decision or, or remand it back for a statement of facts and conclusion of law. Thank you. Okay, Bob. Final questions.
1: <coughs> Excuse me. If somebody has a couple of questions on the board, can a U.S. citizen get a land patent on his property, or must he first correct his status to state citizen? Yes, words, he they're can. asking. They're asking about it, the.
3: It, it, it's good to correct your status. Um, the um, a citizen of the United States and a U.S. citizen is really a subject, and um, so you can correct that, but. It's not necessary. The bottom line is, who, who has the forever benefits of the original land path? It's the assigned. And I'm showing the, the court that I'm the assigned and they're not the assigned. So the question becomes, who is not the assigned? It's not the state, city, or county. Nobody but me. Even if I'm a citizen of the United States, it's assigned to me. And there, it wasn't. It goes back to what is not said is sometimes more eloquent than what is said. And and also, uh, if it didn't happen in writing, it didn't happen. So, using you, the government, can not show where you have any authority to overrule a land patent. My land patent. Again, I want. I'm all for good government. I want you guys to be good government. I'm not an anarchist. I'm not anti-government. I'm all for government. But I'm for good government. And if you're not good government, I'm going to sue you. Personally. Okay, the second question.
1: How is an IRS levy different from a garnishment? Does a garnishment need a judicial
3: determination too? Yes. Yes. See, all that stuff is administrative law. And for administrative law to To be effective, they have to show an administrative law contract that you entered into with them with full disclosure of all obligations, duties, and responsibilities associated with that contract and a lawful consideration of $1 of silver. Unless they can show that, that administrative law doesn't apply to you. This goes with code enforcement and their administrative inspection ones. They'll say, well, you got to give us permission to come on your land, and that's true or we're going to go get an administrative inspection warrant, and you better stay out of our way because it's a, it's a crime to mess to get in our way when we have our, our judge sign our administrative inspection warrant. Well, wait a minute. I've, challenged, I've got three pages of jurisdictional challenge case law that says when jurisdictional challenged, everything must come to a screeching halt. <clears throat> and when it's challenged specifically, like with a land patent, they have to address it specifically and show how they got around the land patent which they can't do. They've never done it in 35 years of that, you know. So you have to challenge the, the warrant. You see, there's all kinds of warrants. And the Fourth Amendment says, no warrants shall issue but upon oath or affirmation of probable cause. Well, what was probable cause in 1791 when it was finally implemented and in 1789 when it was suggested? There's the only one thing the probable cause was. That was a mass, re- uh, excuse me, of, a, a, of Mans Ray or Mallet and say, common law felony. I'd written law. They hadn't sat down and passed any law. The Congress hadn't met yet to pass the statutes of large or the revised statutes. So the only thing it could have meant in those years was something that was already bad. Was, we don't have to pass the law against murder, it's already bad. Murder, rape, arson, treason, kidnapping, mayhem, something that's already bad. That's what the Fourth Amendment protects you from. Unless you're accused of something that's already bad, leave me alone. Go away. You're, it says no warrant, no inspection warrant, no warrant means no warrant. Unless you have a probable cause of a mens re or mal and say, common law felony crime. You're, you're administered. See, there's a difference between probable cause and possible cause and reasonable cause and cause. And a lot of court instructors. They go to the court and say, we have cause to believe that there's the, the, the something wrong over there and we need we need to go look for it. We need the court to issue this administrative inspection that When the judge does that, that's grounds to sue the judge. He doesn't have any contract that you've signed with them with valuable consideration and all, and all that other stuff to make your contract valid. Now, besides the contract, you have to have the activity, for instance. I don't have a driver license. I don't advocate other people do what I do. I just practice what I preach. I haven't had a driver license in 35 years. So I don't have that contract, number one. But if I did have the contract, like most of you people do, you have to be involved in a commercial activity to kick in the vehicle code. Until then, you're just commerce ready. You're ready to go into commerce and have somebody pay you to use the right-of-way that I have. I own every right-of-way in America. But if somebody's out there using my right of way for his own commercial benefit, using my right of way as his place of business. I don't want him to be regulated. I don't want him speeding and being reckless on my right of way. So you have to enter into the regulated activity. Plus have the license. So you can. One of your arguments in court is that uh, there's no uh, admissible evidence in this court that shows that I was in a, any reg- conducting any regulated activity, even though I have a license. That my, my automobile is licensed. My automobile is licensed to be a motor vehicle, but it was not used as a motor vehicle. Go look at Title 18, Section 31 that defines a motor vehicle as a contrivance, conveyance, or machine used in trade, commerce, business, or industry for a fair fee or rate. We're talking commercial. Now, if I was a cab driver, I know I heard of a bus driver that He's using the road as his place of business. He's got to be licensed. And then when he gets on his bus and drives around town, he's in the regulated activity, totally controlled. When he got back to the bus barn, he put his license in the visor. He got back in his automobile, not a motor vehicle, by the way, got back in his automobile and traveled home. He did not drive home. The term drive and operate are commercial terms. Words and their meanings are critical <clears throat> in a courtroom.
1: All right. Well, I think that's all we have for questions for this evening, Bob. Okay. Next
3: week, we're going to go into court procedure. And I'll just make one, one final statement about that. Okay. When I was in real estate, there was a kind of a cute saying that says that the three most important things in, in investing in real estate are location, location, and location. I've changed that a little bit. The three most important things in the courtroom are procedure, procedure, and procedure. And they screw up on their procedure all the time. Their, their papers don't comply with their own rules of court to, to be jurisdictional granting papers. There's just all kinds of procedure wrong. That's why I'm successful in court. I'm a nitpicker. I was a nitpicker in my business. I've had over 400 employees. And I developed processes and processes that nobody else had done. It was all procedural. It's all systematic. You do this before you even think about doing that. Okay. All right, Bob. Well, thank you very much. Uh,
1: as always, you're full of a, a lot of really good information. Uh, I want to thank everybody else who's joined us tonight. And uh, please join us again next Wednesday because we'll start our new call series with Bob. So everybody, thank you very much and have a fantastic evening and happy new year. Thank
0: you. Good night.